there's a, a story of a of a tiny. I don't remember where I put my glasses. Does anybody know where I put my glasses? I got them right here. Thanks, Sally Brackett. You're awesome. There's a story of a tiny pygmy who was standing over a rhinoceros that he had killed. This was clearly an odd sight. This big, violent rhinoceros under the feet of a pygmy. A certain gentleman happened upon the scene and asked, Did you kill that rhinoceros? The pygmy replied, You know it. Being very curious now, the man asked, So how did you, a tiny little pygmy, kill this rhinoceros? He answered, With my club. Yep, I killed this rhinoceros with my club. The man, still thoroughly confused, asked, How big is your club? And the pygmy said, There are about a hundred of us in my club. Isn't that that great? Right? You know what that's speaking of, right? He was surrounded by, by those with the same belief system, working together in unity so they could be victorious in battle and handle being attacked by rhinoceroses. God wants to do the same with us. Right? We have a big club. This church family, other church families, the body of Christ that's all around the world. God wants to kill some rhinoceroses. Let's say there's a football team. If a football team is is unified, it does not mean that everyone's playing the same position. It doesn't mean, or it does mean that everyone is heading to the same goal line, however, right? If an orchestra is harmonious, it's not because they're all playing the same instrument. It's because they're all playing the same song. If a choir is singing in great harmony, it's not because they are singing the same parts. It's because they are adding their part to the same song. It's the goal that produces the unity. It's the goal that produces the unity. Unity is not sameness. Unity has to do with same purpose. Unity has to do with same purpose. And so we must always as a church here and churches globally, continue to align our purposes with God's. Amen? Here's our outline for this morning. Three stanzas. Boom. Thanks, guys. Verses 11, 12, and 13. That We were far off from God. And we are now near because of what Christ did on the cross. I I assume I'm not the only one at one point in his life that was far from God. When we put our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ, and we were instantly drawn near to Him, is what Scripture is going to show us. And then in verses 14 through 18, that Christ came to bring peace. Christ came to bring peace. Peace amongst us so that we can be the family of God and then peace between us and Him. Christ came to bring peace. And then He builds a holy house. A house that He dwells in, which is you and I. It's not this building. This is just where we gather. This is just a building. This is not a, this is, this is not the church. We're the church. And He dwells in that holy house so that we're healthy, so that we can then do things for Him, so that we can accomplish His purposes. Okay? Open your Bibles. We are in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. We'll leave that outline up for a little bit. 
Go to Ephesians 2. We're going to start at verse 11. So good to be with you guys this morning. Therefore, remember. Church, we must remember where we came from. We must remember our past. It'll calibrate our future differently when we recall where we used to be. It has to. It must. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ. He lists five things here. Separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, from God's family, strangers to the covenants of promise, God's word, having no hope and without God in the world. Wow, that's a bleak picture. But now, remember last week? But God. Here's another one. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Wow. For He Himself is our peace, who made both groups, Jews and Gentiles, into one group, the church. He broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in His flesh the the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in Himself, Christ might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. And He might reconcile them, that body, in one, them both in one body to God. He would reconcile them to God through the cross, having put to death the enmity. And He came and He preached peace to you who were far away. That's the Gentiles. And peace to those who were near. That's the Jews. For through Him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you and I, we're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. And you're of God's household. You've been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Himself being the cornerstone. And the cornerstone, as we know, it's the, it was the most crucial stone of the entire building because the entire building was lined up with that stone. The church is not the church without Christ. The church is not the church without Christ. The church is built upon Christ. He's the chief cornerstone. We make a big deal about Christ, as most churches do. So it says in verse 21, in whom that whole building, you and I, were being fitted together, right? Healthy. And we're growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Let's pray. Almighty God, we love you. We are grateful for your word. We are thankful for what Christ did on the cross as He established the church. Lord, may we be the holy temple that You desire for us to be as a church. Lord, have Your way with us this morning. We thank You for these words that You had Paul write to the churches in Ephesus. May it mold us and shape us. It's in Your mighty name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Man, this is good. Love doing this with you guys. Thank you so much for being here. So, the first stanza, now near. Verses 11, 12, and 13. Let's read those again. Verses 11, 12, and 13. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles, in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time 
I mean, what a bleak passage. Separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, no hope and without God. (laughs) But now in Christ, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So there's some terms in there I just want to hit on real quick. We know the terms Jew and the other one is Gentile. Circumcision or uncircumcision. Clean and unclean. Those are just some of the terms that the Bible uses. Today we might use words like Christian or non-Christian, saved or unsaved, believer or unbeliever. Whatever the language and whatever the period of time, it's not about being in the one group and not about being in the other. It's not about that. It's not about being people of privilege like the Jews thought they were. People of prestige, people of position, people of power, if you will. That's what, it wasn't what it was about. <laughs> it's about being people of purpose. It's about being people of purpose. God called the people to be a people of purpose. And sometimes we forget that. And we're, we're thankful that we're Jews and not Gentiles. We're thankful that we're circum, the circumcision, not the uncircumcision. We're thankful that we're clean and not clean. We're thankful that we're Christians and not non-Christians. We're thankful that we're saved and not the unsaved. We're thankful that we're believers and not the unbelievers. And, that, and we stop there and, we, and we're very proud of our, our privilege or our position in Christ. And we forget that we're supposed to be people of purpose. We forget that we're supposed to be people of purpose. Far too often, i got to be honest with you, far too often I've lived my Christian life not being missional enough, not being on purpose enough. I just have. I'm sure many of us forget that we are to be a people of purpose. I've done it myself far too often. And I feel the Lord, I know the Lord, is He's changing that in me. He's changing that in me, and I'm so grateful. Our purpose... <laughs> Our purpose is to be preachers or proclaimers or or pointers. People of peace. Pointing and proclaiming and preaching the peace which is found only in Jesus Christ. Who else is going to do it? Who else is going to do it? We have to do it. And oftentimes, too often, I don't do it enough. Last week in Ephesians, we did verses 1 through 10, and we discussed the following. If you remember, in verses 1 and 2, when Paul says in verse 1 and 2, you, and then in verse 3, he says, we also. And he's saying, you, you Gentiles, and we Jews, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Now look in verse 4 and 5, and you remember this from last week, right? We were dead, you Jews were dead, or you Gentiles were dead, and we Jews, we were dead. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, even when we were dead, He made us alive together with Christ. So out of his love and concern for these new followers of Christ, Paul, a Jew, is reminding the people of Ephesus, these Gentiles, he was reminding them of this. And sometimes each and every one of us needs to be reminded of the same thing. And that's this, that you belong. He's saying to the Gentiles that they belong. They belong to God's family. That they're no different than all the other saints that God calls His saints. That they're rich in Christ. That they are adopted as sons and daughters and that they have obtained an inheritance which we read about in Ephesians 1. That they have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Sometimes we put our faith, hope, and trust in Christ and we still feel like we're on the outskirts. And that's just not the way it is. We belong. We're no different. I am seen in the same light as the Apostle Paul. I am seen in the same light as a Moses or a King David. As are you. Christ does that for all of us. 
Glory be to our God. Go to Romans chapter 2. A little bit to your left. Go to Romans chapter 2. We're going to read verses 25 through 29 in Romans chapter 2. Verse 25, for indeed, Paul writes, circumcision is of value if you practice the law. But if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? And he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you who, though having the letter of the law and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? Here's what Paul's saying. For he is not a Jew, an obedient follower of God. He is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But we belong to him. We are truly his. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the spirit not by the letter and his praise is not from men but from god a heart that paul wrote about earlier that says you were dead i was dead my heart is impure but through christ and his spirit that dwells within me i have been circumcised internally Hmm. it's always 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 good to be reminded of who we were and of course who we are It's good to be reminded of who we were and who we are. In verse 11, if you notice back in Ephesians 2, in verse 11 he says, Therefore remember that formerly, right? And then he says the same thing in verse 12, remember that you were. And then in verse 13 he says the same thing, that, but now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off. Hmm. And they were what? They were formerly what? What was their former life? Five things in verse 12. I'm going to give you five words. Look at verse 12. You're separate, (laughs) excluded, strangers, hopeless, no hope, hopeless, and godless. That's what we all were. Maybe some of you are still there today and you haven't put your trust in Jesus Christ. Separate, excluded, strangers, hopeless, and godless. What a list. Separate. We forget sometimes that we were separate from Christ. We were excluded from God's family. We were strangers to His Word. We were hopeless and without God. We were godless. But that's not us anymore, is it? That's not us anymore. That's who we were. But it's good to be reminded of that because when we really remember that we were separate, that we were excluded from God's family, that we were strangers to His Word and to His covenants, and that we were hopeless and without God, when we remember that, I think it shifts how we think about today. It's like, if you tell me that's my life, those five things are my life, and you're going to give me a new life, you say, Mark, this is what you were. He picks me up and he puts me over here and all those things are gone and I have a new life. I say, thank you. What would you like in return? How can I now serve you in response to what I was and what I no longer am? Does that make sense? 
So it's good for us to be reminded. It's not just to say, yay, I'm no longer that. It's, I'm, I'm no longer that. I, 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 I was those things. I'm not anymore. But others are. And how can my life help shift that for others? I just need to get better at that. i got to be honest with you. I just need to get better. Way better. As mentioned, what is true about them and about us currently is that they belong. They're no different. They're rich in Christ. They are adopted sons and daughters. They have obtained an inheritance that they have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It's what we were. It's what they were. But we're not that anymore. And how did this happen? It happened because of Christ. It happened because of Christ. It's the only way it happened. It's the only way it ever will happen. That we were those five things and Christ changed Everything. That's why we make a big deal about Jesus, the Christ. Jesus, the Messiah. The Anointed One. The person God designated, anointed, to fix that problem. Amen? Look at First Timothy chapter 2, verses, uh, I think just 3 through 6. Oh, perfect. He says, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God. God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Because there's one God and there's one mediator, the person who makes it right between two people. One mediator between God and men. And it's Christ. He's the one that fixes that problem. He gave Himself as a ransom for all. He gave Himself as a ransom for all. Check this out. Verses 12 and 13 talk about Christ three times. Go back to 12 and 13 of Ephesians, right? Look at verse 12. The three things about Christ. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ. Look at verse 13. But now in Christ, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You were separate from Christ, but in Christ you were brought near by the blood of Christ. Sadly, sadly, too many Christians are still living that former life. Let me explain if, if we're still acting like who we were, something's wrong. We need to recalibrate. Those five things are who we were. It's not who we are. It's who we were. That should be the past. Perhaps many of these five things in verse 12 are still part of your everyday life. The first one. Perhaps you feel separate from Christ. Now look, there are times when, when we're in a place, right? And, and sometimes we don't necessarily have a real strong sense of God's presence. We feel alone. That, that happens. Those are moments, right? We have those moments. But if you habitually feel separate from Christ, that's not the way it's supposed to be. You were separate from Christ. Not are. That's not who we are. That's who we were. You feel excluded. That's the second one. Excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. You feel excluded from the body of Christ. That's, that's who we were. It's not who we are. The third one says you were a stranger to the covenants of promise. You're a stranger to His Word. That's that's who we were. It's not who we are. We're not to be strangers to His Word. That's who we were. It's not who we are. You live with a sense of hopelessness. That's who we were. It's not who we are. We of all people should have the most hope. We do have the most hope. And lastly, while you may believe in God... He is elusive to you. Without God in the world, you feel like God is without you or you are without God. That's who we were. It's not who we are. Benjamin Ratcliffe, 
he's a professor at the University of Notre Dame, and he wrote an article uh, last year called An Epidemic of Hopelessness. He says, mortality is on the rise because of higher levels of suicide and greater numbers of drug and alcohol abuse and overdoses. People are increasingly taking their own lives or living with reckless disregard for their health and safety. Furthermore, there are higher rates of other maladies short of death, like declines in health, mental health, and ability to conduct the daily activities of their life. The study illustrates the sad reality that what we are observing is an epidemic of hopelessness in our society. It's growing. Crazy, isn't it? (laughs) The world, our world, continues to grant more and more freedoms to mankind. And yet hopelessness is flourishing and it's upsurging at the same time. When we don't put our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ. Our second stanza, verses 14 through 18, a peaceful presence of Christ. The peaceful presence of Christ. Let's read 14 through 18. For He Himself is our peace. Who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier by abolishing in His flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in Himself He might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. And He might reconcile them both in one body to God the Father through the cross by having put to death the enmity. And He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access to God. I love how this stanza opens in verse 14. Look at verse 14. For He Himself is our peace. That's how the stanza opens. For He Himself is our peace. Too often, we seek or somehow expect that peace will come in some other form or resource than Christ. Social media continues to explode. Yet increasingly, more and more people feel isolated, lonely, and not at peace. How does that happen? Many people are looking in many places. But verse 14 tells us what? That He Himself is our peace. Amen? And this peace brings peace. It brings oneness. The peace of God, the peace of Christ, brings oneness. Not aloneness, oneness. Peace brings oneness. Look at We're going to look at four verses. Look at verse 14. For He Himself is our peace who made both groups into one. Hmm. Look at verse 15, the second part. So that in Himself, He might make the two into one new man. Look at verse 16. And might reconcile them both in one body. Look at verse 18. For through Him, we both have our access in one Spirit. This peace brings oneness, not aloneness. Look, in order for there to be peace, for there to be oneness or unity, there must be a high level of common ground. And Christ, and only Christ, is that common ground that brings oneness, that brings peace. And so we always fix our eyes upon Him because He Himself is our peace. John 10, Jesus says this, we're not going to go there, but in John 10, Jesus says that He is the door and we have peace with God only through Christ. That's it. 
couple weeks ago when I was flying back from Texas, I was I was in a middle seat. I don't know why they put those there. Those really shouldn't be there. Right? That should be like the coffee table or something for, you know, beverage, magazine. Holy moly. Right? Like, you might as well just talk to somebody. You're kind of like, you're on each other's laps anyway. So it's like, you know, hey, person touching me. Let's talk. So we start talking about the Lord. I don't think she wanted to talk about the Lord, but, you know, that's the first thing that came to mind. So grew up in a Christian school and has walked away from the Lord, and I'm just listening to her tell her philosophy of God. And so <laughs> she says, now Jesus, yeah, he's a cool dude. I'm like, no, no. He's not just a cool dude, man. If we miss who Jesus is, then we miss everything. He's not just a cool dude with some cool stories and we learn some cool lessons about life from Jesus. Everything. He is the door. We will never have peace with each other or with our Heavenly Father outside of Christ. We make a big deal about Jesus. And so verse 14, which we just read, tells us that He made two groups into one. That's what verse 14 says, that He made two groups into one. Verse 15 tells us that He made two men into one. These verses show us that God, through the work of Christ on the cross, brings peace and reconciliation between people and people groups. If there's not reconciliation between people and people groups, somebody's eyes aren't fixed on Jesus. End of story. End of story. We can argue all we want why we're not at peace with somebody. But I'm telling you, somebody's eyes aren't fixed on Jesus. Because He brings peace between people and people groups. That's what Scripture says. Amen? My wife and I have been married 29 years. We're not always at peace. But I say to her, yeah, you need to get your eyes fixed on Jesus so that we can get back to normal. I'm kidding. It might be the other way around, but you get my point. If we fix our eyes on Jesus, we remain at peace. We're at peace. Sometimes she messes up and I have to, you know, point her to Ephesians 2. It's just what I do. Just kidding. Jews and Gentiles were enemies because while the Jews attempted to keep the law and its commandments and regulations, which they couldn't, the Gentiles were on the complete opposite camp. So you have people that have no regard for God's Word and people with a high regard for God's Word, but both of those camps are nothing without Christ. Because only in Christ do we have access to our Lord. All right, now let's look at 16, the first part of 16. He says, so in verses 14 and 15, he reconciled two groups. He reconciled two people. And in 16, he says that he might reconcile them both now collectively in one body, the church. He reconciles those people and the people groups to God through the cross. Hmm. So he brings peace between people, between people groups, and between those people and God himself. And so now what? Right? So Christ comes and he brings oneness between people groups. He brings oneness between people. He brings oneness between the church and himself. And we're done, right? No, of course not. Remember last week, because he did this, verse 10 says that we're his workmanship. He did that. We were created this way in Christ for good works. And so in verse 17, 
where it says that Christ came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Because no matter how near you are or how far you are, you need Christ. Those near and those far, they need you. They need me. They need the Lord's church to come and preach peace. Amen? Just like we needed it. We're grateful for it because we were, but now we are. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. A little to your left. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 17, 18, and 19. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, let's just stop there, right? So would you, would you say, well, that's me. Or that's not me. It's not you. Make, make, make it you. Soon. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Who we were is not who we are. Behold, new things have come. Amen? Now all these things are from God. And He reconciled us to Himself through Christ. Period. Right? No. Well, there's an and, right? So He reconciled us to Himself through Christ. And then He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Right? So it's like me giving to Carrie and just saying, hey, I've reconciled you to my Father. And so I'm giving to you the ministry of reconciliation. We'll see you in you know, a couple decades or whatever. I'll do a good job. 2 Corinthians 5. Where did I leave off? Okay. That's not 18? Right. So he reconciled us to himself through Christ and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, this, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Oh, thank you, Lord, for doing that. Not counting their trespasses against them. Thank you, Lord, for, for not counting those against me. And he has committed to us that same word of reconciliation. I'm uncomfortable. Honestly, I've got to be honest with you. It just makes me a little uncomfortable. Because I've been too comfortable. A couple weeks ago, the elders, we had an elder meeting, pastors and elders, and we invited a friend of mine and my wife, Larry Walkermeyer, and he met with us for about an hour and a half, and gosh, it just it pierced me when he said this. He says, the church isn't scared anymore. The church isn't scared anymore. They're not doing things that causes them to be scared to focus on God, to trust in God. The church isn't scared anymore. Oh, I don't want to be scared. And we're not to live in fear. We're not to be scared. His point is, we don't do things that force us to really, really rely upon our Lord. Amen? Lastly, our third stanza, the, the Holy House, verses 19 through 22. So then, you are no longer strangers. <laughs> We're no longer strangers and aliens to the Lord. Foreigners. We're fellow citizens. We have our citizenship in heaven with the saints. We're part of God's household. We don't just have His address and we get to honk once in a while and say, Hi, Jesus, and hi, God. No, like we're part of the house, man. Having been built 
on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Mm. So, we leave Ephesians chapter 2 both with a massive sigh of relief as well as a massive sense of responsibility. We leave Ephesians 2 with a huge sigh of relief but also a huge sense of responsibility. The sigh of relief is this. You're no longer strangers and aliens, those verses say. You're fellow citizens. You're saints. You're part of God's household. You're, you're a holy temple for a dwelling of God. But there's a sense of responsibility, right? But God in verse 4. But now in verse 13. And but you in verse 19. Check it out. Verse 4. In verse four, verse 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love, even when we were dead, He made us alive. But God. And then verse 13. But now, in Christ, you who were formerly far off, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. So we got but God and we got but now. Look at verse 19. So you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you, your fellow citizens with the saints, you're, a part, you're part of God's household. And being part of God's household means that we have responsibilities. Right? When you're a part of a household, we have responsibilities. And our responsibilities are we're to preach peace, as verse 17 just showed us. We are to preach peace. We are to be a ministry or to have a ministry of reconciliation. And we are to be people of good works, as verse 10 also showed us. And I love this, this visual in these closing verses. 20, 21, and 22, that we have been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Himself being the, the cornerstone in whom the whole building is, is being, not has been fit, is being fitted together. It's growing in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling. Can you imagine how difficult, this is what makes God God, Right? If the raw materials of what you're building changed every day. Uh, what am I building now? Uh, what am I building now? Uh, what am I building now? Another semi come, another semi comes, it keeps dropping. It's like, it, God's doing it. He's growing something. He's building something. He's building his church. Roughly 75,000 people a day commit their lives to Jesus Christ. <laughs> We're part of that. And God's fitting all that together. He's making sense out of all that. It's such a privilege to be the family of God. It's such a privilege to be brothers and sisters in Christ with you. We're going to pray. I'm going to invite the worship team. Are they? I can't. I, I One's doing this. i got nothing left. I can tap dance. That's okay. Um, help me out. Ryan's right there. Okay. Sorry, I just want to know. I don't know how long to stretch. We're ready for you. I'm early. My apologies. I'm early. Last night I was a little long. Let's pray. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for being flexible. God, we are so grateful that who we are is no longer who we were. We thank You for what You have done on the cross to change that. 
But Lord, you have given us a ministry of reconciliation. You have committed to us to be people, to proclaim peace, to point people to Jesus Christ. May we do that well. Lord, continue to have your way with this church. Lord, thank you for your grace and your patience as we every day continue to figure it out. Lord, we love you. It's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. Hey, when we're done, when they're done with this song, if you need prayer, our, our prayer team.